We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're looking at from verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 13. That's found page 1836 in the Blue Church Bibles, and Brianne is going to read the Bible for us this morning. Thanks, Brianne. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thanks, Brienne, uh, for reading for us this morning. Uh, please make sure you keep your Bibles open to page 1836. And uh, although we won't have question time like we normally do, because we'll be doing the Lord's Supper, if you have any questions about the passage, please make sure you chat to me either on more, during morning tea or at lunch. Uh, before we look at this section of God's Word in detail, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet around your word this morning and we thank you for giving us your word, the Bible. And we pray that your word will do its work in us, that by your spirit we pray that we won't leave here as the same people, but that you will change us by the gospel. And we pray that our hearts will be shaped and molded to love Jesus and others more. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. When I did my first ever cross-country in high school, uh, I did the classic uh, run as fast as you can at the beginning thing so that I could look good in front of the spectators as we left the school grounds. And you can guess how it turned out, can't you? It didn't take long for me to run out of puff, and I ended up walking most of the course with person after person going past me. Now, I got to the point where I got so behind the pack that when we got into the bushland part of the course, I actually got lost. I had no idea where I was because I had no one to follow. I wasn't even sure if I was on the right track. 
And because I felt so lost, I just wanted to give up on the race. I just wanted to just turn around and just retrace my steps back to the starting line. You know, being a Christian is like running the cross country. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And at times, it, it's, gonna, it's, it's not going to be an easy run, and sooner rather than later sometimes, you'll get to that bushland section of the course where it's hard going, where you get discouraged, where you don't want to keep on going forward. And there'll be times when you think, well, am I on the right track? Is following Jesus really worth it? What we'll see in this next section of Paul's letter is how the Thessalonians stood firm in their faith in Jesus when the Christian life got hard. And what we'll see from this passage will be a great encouragement for us to do the same things that they did when we find life tough as a Christian. And now this morning we're going to see three things that will help us stand firm. We're going to firstly see about having a joy that's outside of ourselves. Then secondly, having an understanding that God's in control. And then thirdly, having a dependence on God in prayer. Now firstly, having a joy that's outside of ourselves. Uh, we see throughout this whole passage that Paul's joy is linked to the Thessalonians. Now, we saw last week that Paul has a very close relationship with these guys. And the background to this letter is, Paul was only with them for three weeks. But on the, in that third week, he was forced out of the city due to strong Jewish opposition. And then we see here in 2 verse 17, how much he wanted to be with the Thessalonians. But it was just outside his control. Uh, please have a look at chapter 2, verse 17 with me. Paul says this. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for, short, uh, for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Uh, do you notice the strong language that Paul uses to describe how he's feeling? He felt orphaned. In other words, it's like his relationship with the Thessalonians and him, it's been ripped apart. You see, Paul doesn't have a professional distance with these guys. Now, he openly shared his life with them. He personally invested in these guys. And in this morning's passage, well, Paul takes it up a notch. Where to the point where he says that his joy is linked to them. Uh, please read verse 19 and 20, because he says this, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Don't, please don't miss it here. Paul's making a really big statement here. His joy is not based on his own circumstances. But his joy is based on how God works in others. You see, we're not a club. 
We're, we're not a group of people where we follow the same sports team or we share the same hobby. No, no, because of what Jesus has done for us, we're family now. And that's why in last week's passage, Paul was using all those familial terms uh, to describe himself as a child, as a nursing mother, as a father, to convey how close his relationship was with these Thessalonians. Now, when you think about it, that's actually natural about family. For example, you expect a dad to celebrate when their son wins the cross-country. Or you expect a mum to celebrate when her daughter gets her first award at speech day. For family, it's natural for our joy to be connected to someone else. But do you see your church family like that? To the point where your joy is dependent on how your brother or your sister in Christ is going in their relationship with Jesus. Now, for most of us, that actually can seem quite weird. We, we don't normally think like this. Normally, we think what gives us joy are the things that make us happy, the things that are done to us, things where we get the benefit. But the big thing we got to realize, happiness isn't necessarily joy. Because happiness, well, that depends on your circumstances. Whereas joy is where your delight is totally independent on circumstances. Uh, it's been said that joy can be defined as J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. And the saying goes, oh, when you get that order right, well, that's when you get joy. And so, by logic, yoj, which is Y-O-J, well, that doesn't give you joy. And oij, others yourself, Jesus, well, that won't work for you either. And that's the thing. All this, the gospel tells us that's actually how you get joy. Because God is other person-centered. And in turn, well, well, we're to become other people-centered as well. So we can actually find joy in how God is working in other people and vice versa. Our fellow Christian brothers and sisters can derive joy from us. We see this whole idea again in chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8, after hearing that the Thessalonians have hung in there as Christians, well, Paul says in his words there, he's really alive now. now he's ecstatic. Now he can't thank God enough for the joy that he gets from them. And notice chapter 3, verse 7, how the progress of the Thessalonians in their faith how that has encouraged Paul during his own distress, hardship, persecution. Again, we see the implication of being other person-centered. Is that you're able to have a joy, 
even when your circumstances are hard. So can I ask you, do you have real joy? Do you have a joy that's not dependent on circumstances? Do you have a joy that's bigger than what happens to you? Uh, the second thing that, we, that helps us stand firm is understanding that God's in control. Now, before we unpack that idea, let me briefly go back to chapter 2, verse 18, where it says that Satan blocked Paul's way. Now, there's a ton of stuff that I could say about the devil, but I actually just want to say two things about this section. Chapter 2, verse 18. Firstly, what we see here really shows that the, the obstacles that prevented Paul from seeing the Thessalonians, they were really outside his control. Now, we don't know what they were. Uh, we're not told. But what we do know is that, well, whatever it was, it was considerable. Because Paul would have been with the Thessalonians in a heartbeat if it wasn't for these circumstances. So that's point number one. Point number two. Uh, we've got to realize that even though Satan was responsible for stopping Paul to get into Thessalonica, we have to remember that it's ultimately God who's in complete control of all things. And because of that, well, technically, God allowed Satan to block Paul for some reason. And we actually see the same idea happening throughout the Bible, and in particular in the Old Testament book of Job, where in Job chapter 1, we see Satan wants to test Job, and he puts him through hardship, and he wants to do that because he wants to show God that Job would walk away from God if he goes through hardship. But the book of Job actually shows us that God allows Satan to test Job. But the thing is, Satan is only allowed to do what God allows him to do. You see, Satan is on, he's on, he's on a tight leash. But it's actually through Satan, Job loses his kids. He loses his health. He loses his possessions. But throughout the book of Job, we see that Job keeps trusting God throughout the whole way. And God ends up blessing Job with twice as much as he had before. You see, what we see throughout the whole Bible is that God does things so that he can achieve his purposes, not Satan's purposes. And he'll use Satan to achieve his purposes. But what could God's purpose be in letting Satan block Paul here? Why did he let Satan do it? Well, let me come back to that, because as we keep looking at the passage a little later on, it actually answers that question. But let's go to the narrative. We get to chapter 3. And we see Paul, he's, he's really worried about the Thessalonians, and he knows he can't go, so he does the next best thing. And he sends Timothy to go and support the Thessalonians through all the persecutions they're going through. Uh, please have a look at chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 to 5. He says this, verse 2, chapter 3. We sent Timothy, 
who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and our labors might have been in vain. Paul knows that life as a Christian won't be easy. But did you notice as we looked at that that section, did you notice how he said it? He he uses very definite language here. Verse 3, Christians are destined for trials. Christians will always be persecuted. And that's actually true for us now. Now, the experience of these Thessalonians, it's exactly what's happening right now in countries like Iraq, Syria, North Korea, China, where it's dangerous to be a Christian. Four weeks ago, a Colombian youth pastor was shot by communist guerrillas as he walked out of church on a Sunday morning. And that was, he was the third pastor killed in Colombia in the past four months. Now, for us living in the inner west of Sydney, well, we don't go through that type of persecution. We're not in danger of being killed or forced out of our homes or put in prison for being a Christian. And we have to recognize it's a real blessing to live in this country where we have such freedom to be a Christian. And that's something we should never take for granted. But the thing is, we're still going to be persecuted. And can I say, given what happened this week with George Pearl, the church is back on the agenda on everyone's conversations. And people may say some pretty harsh things about us, even though we're not Catholic. They're going to say some harsh things about church overall, about Christianity overall, or about God. But can I say, even when something like this isn't in the news... We've got to recognize we do live in a society where people are hostile to God and Christianity. And like the Thessalonians, we need to stand firm. But while that's all happening outside of these four wars, I actually think the real danger for us, the persecution that is really dangerous for us, is much more subtle. Uh, can I say, do you notice what was that in verse 5? What was the heart of Paul's concern and fear for the Thessalonians? It was that Satan might be successful in tempting them to give up being a Christian. You know the way that Satan does that, how he does the tempting? His way he does that, he does it by telling lies. And we see that back in the Garden of Eden when he lied to Adam and Eve as he tempted them to doubt God's goodness and to disobey him. I was seeing Genesis 3. Uh, he, he questions God's word 
as he says to Adam and Eve, you can see there, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And then a little bit later on, he, he flats out lies to them and says, you will not certainly die. And you know what? Satan's game plan hasn't, for us, it hasn't changed. But what are the lies that he feeds us? Well, the thing is, he doesn't feed us the lie that Jesus isn't real. He knows he's lost out on that one. But I reckon the common lie that he feeds us here in the inner west is to replace Jesus instead. Where he says other things are more important than Jesus. Your career is more important than Jesus. That other person is more important than Jesus. Your comfortable lifestyle is more important than Jesus. And slowly, Satan gets us to doubt whether following Jesus is worth it at all. It's like me back in the cross-country race, wondering if this track that I'm on is the right track. And there'll be times when things seem hopeless and we start to question whether the track we're on is the right track. What do we do when those times happen? Well, to answer that question, let's see what happens next with Paul after he sent Timothy. As he's going to answer that question, and he's actually going to answer the question before that I left hanging, why did Satan block Paul? So let's see, we're up to verse 6. In verse 6, chapter 3, we see that Timothy, he brings back good news to Paul. The Thessalonians have continued in their faith and in God and have continued in their love for each other. And so what we're seeing here is it's by God's doing, not by Paul's doing, that the Thessalonians are able to stand firm. So even though Satan blocked Paul from getting to the Thessalonians, we're reminded here in chapter 3 that God is much better bigger than Paul and he's much bigger than Satan as well you see even with just three weeks of teaching that the Thessalonians got from Paul that was enough for God to grow them it was enough for them to be protected from the temptations of the devil so what was God's purpose in allowing Satan to block Paul it's to remind Paul and it's to remind us how big how powerful that God and how he really is that he's ultimately in control and he will hold on to the Thessalonians and he'll hold on to us as well and here's the thing because his hands they're the best hands to be in well, that leads us into the third thing that helps us stand firm, and that's to have a dependence on God in prayer. And that's how Paul concludes this part of the chapter, with a prayer that recognizes that God is the one who will continue to grow the Thessalonians in their faith. And, you know, this is a great prayer that we should be praying for ourselves as well, 
Uh, please have a look at Paul's prayer in verses 12 and 13. It says this. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. At the end of the day, this prayer reminds us that it's ultimately, ultimately because of God that we can grow in our love for each other, that we can grow in our love for those who don't know Jesus. Ultimately, it's because of God that our hearts can be strengthened so that we can keep trusting in Jesus in all things so that we'll be able to finish the race that we're on. And because we need God to do this in our lives, well, that's the reason why we need to keep praying this prayer for ourselves and for each other. So to answer the question, what do we do when we find the Christian life hard? What do we do when we begin to doubt him? Well, the first thing we see here is to start praying and to keep praying. Keep praying this prayer to ask God to grow your love, to keep strengthening your heart, because that's a prayer that God will always answer if you're trusting him to do so. And the second thing that we're to do is not to listen to Satan's lies. Don't let what happened in the garden happen to you. But instead, keep remembering that God is always true to his word. I didn't tell you what happened to me at the end of that uh, E7 cross-country race. As I was about to turn around and try to bushwhack my way back to the starting line, I, I bumped into another runner. And this guy was the guy who's coming first in the race that started after mine. So you understand how far behind I was. And so what I did next is I started to follow him. Now, with this guy, I actually got the confirmation that I was on the right track. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have made it back to the school. And I wouldn't have been able to finish the race. You know, for us, we don't have someone who accidentally bumps into us. We don't have someone who unintentionally helps us because of a fluke. No, we have someone who deliberately has gone before us, who's deliberately paved our path for us by dying on a cross. And we have someone who intentionally helps us every step of our journey so that we can finish the race well, even when it gets tough, even when we feel like giving up. Jesus will always be there for us, and he'll never let us down. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, by your great love for us, you sent the Lord Jesus to die for us, that we can be saved from the penalty of our sins, 
that we can be saved into a relationship with you and with each other. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll keep shaping us by your gospel, that you'll transform our relationships to the point that we can real joy from our relationships with each other. We pray that you'll make our love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else. Please protect us and strengthen our hearts so that we won't be tempted by the tempter, but keep growing in our trust in you, that we'll be blameless and holy in your presence on that last day. And Heavenly Father, we pause now to actually pray for our brothers and sisters in countries where it is dangerous to follow you. And we pray that you too will shape them by the gospel, that you too will strengthen and protect them as they live lives for you. And we pray that you also will keep holding on to them in all that they go through and that they too may be blameless and holy in your presence on that last day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.